You know, I really appreciate good tidings because it's obvious that the funds and the energy are really going to something that's valuable. Welcome to the third season of the Good Tidings Podcast, where we highlight and inspire a community of givers with your host, the founder of the Good Tidings Foundation, Larry Harper. For the final episode of season three of the Good Tidings Podcast, I'm sitting in the home of my guest. She is a wonderful Good Tidings supporter and local celebrity chef. So, Michelle Minori, welcome to the Good Tidings Podcast. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for having me. So, I first came to know you while my wife and I were watching our favorite show, Bravo's Top Chef, where you ended up being a finalist. How did that opportunity come about? That opportunity came to me per their casting team's request and actually came twice. (laughs) The first time I had to decline, I was opening Barzotto, a restaurant in the Mission, and it did not feel like the right time whatsoever. So I said, this is amazing. Thanks for asking, but no. Uh, And let's try again next year. And they did. So it was a really fun, fun opportunity. Yeah, what what an honor. And then from there, I know many people have seen you on Food Network, Sky's Grocery Games, where we saw you win. (laughs) And I noticed, I mean, normally you're a very, outwardly anyway, very calm and cool person. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But in those situations... Is it more stressful than it seems? It's extremely stressful. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, when I was filming Top Chef, I thought I was going to throw up every day (laughs) just from the nerves. Right. But I do try and like keep a straight face and, you know, the calm in the storm because it's really easy to freak out. But I feel like if you can take a deep breath and just really be in the moment and remember what's important, you don't have to panic and... Nobody looks cool when they're panicking, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and we watch these shows on TV, all these cooking shows now are so popular. And I don't know, is there a lot of editing or is it really, here's the ingredients and good luck figuring it out? Like, or is there some time? I was actually pretty blown away with this myself. It's pretty real to like what actually happens, wow. especially on guys' grocery games. They say go and you go. <laughs> on Top Chef, you might have to stop and like let the cameras do their thing, but they capture it like you're really there. Wow, that's pretty impressive. So you are a Northern California native. Grew I am, up in the yes. town of Lodi. Mm-hmm. Where did the initial passion for food come from? I've been asked this question a lot, and I think it was obvious straight away because I grew up in a pretty big family, and my dad would spend the weekends uh, in the garden, and that's where we learned how to really like cultivate, you know, food and community. So we would, you know, pick peppers and herbs and stuff, and then you know I would watch him from afar, like make the pickles and make salsa, and then he'd send this out to our neighbors who most likely worked at the mill or like. General Mills, which is right around the corner in our neighborhood. And he would say, you know, go take so-and-so some some pickles. And, you know, most likely we'd come back with a box of cereal or something. <laughs> so I think that's where I really learned the value of knowing your neighbors and your community and, and what bartering was. And I thought it was really fun. And my father liked cooking a lot. I think I just saw that passion and I adopted it myself. Yeah. So you were farm to table well before it was fashionable, <laughs> evidently, yes. yeah, in your neighborhood. I long for the days to have a garden again. Yeah. 
So, you know, after seeing you on TV, I did track you down through your website and I do this daily, but 90% of the time, no one replies. And you replied back, yes, I want to help good tidings. And I know the food industry by far has asked the more to help nonprofits than any other industry. So how do you select? Because you must get asked every day. How do you select where you go? Yeah, that's a great question because people do ask a lot and you have to be choosy with your time and energy. And, you know, I really appreciate good tidings because it's obvious that the funds and the energy are really going to something that's valuable. And, you know, I've learned through my husband's nonprofit, Edmo, who um, supports kids in the after school time, just how valuable it is to invest in the next generation so important and and the work that you guys are doing there through play and and music and sports it's just so valuable you know i learned a lot of those lessons myself and through cooking too so i want to support that it's interesting in reading your bio you spend much of your time helping nonprofits and you mentioned your husband's great charity edmo you also give your time i, I want to start out with hearing a little bit more about la cochina Oh, yeah. So La Cocina is a really great nonprofit here in the city that helps support uh, women of color create businesses and become entrepreneurs and have job skills and learn how to run a business. And that's just so important and really touches my heart because women hold up the our industry. And there's so many women who have amazing skills in the kitchen and maybe haven't been given the opportunities that other demographics have. And so I really appreciate what La Cocina does, taking these incredibly talented women and giving them a platform and teaching them job skills. It's really valuable to the community. Yeah. And you mentioned just, you touched on that interesting because it seems like chefs, and it sounds like a masculine word, right? That chef, and it's, you would know more than me, a male dominated industry, but yet in American culture, in the home, the female is oftentimes, or more often than not, the chef in the Mm -hmm. home. So is it still hard for women in this industry, this restaurant industry? I remember when I got in this industry about 17 years now, I saw it being hard for women. And I see it being more equitable now. I feel like women have more of a voice because we've had to stand up and use our voice. But there is a long way to go. It's not a sustainable culture for everyone too to have a family. It's really long hours. You usually work late at night. And I think we have to be really intentional as entrepreneurs and chefs and business owners. And a lot of people are doing that well these days too, to really think about people as a whole. And yeah, like a lot of times women have all this unpaid domestic work and it's really uneven sided. So we have to be intentional with how we navigate that. Yeah. Interesting. And to continue on with some of your nonprofit work, I know you also spend time with a very well-known group called Project Open Hand. Tell us what you do there. I've been one of their chefs at their gala to help raise money for their fundraisers, which is just a huge honor. They help provide meals, groceries, and other services for people in need, either people who are experiencing sickness or the elderly in um, San Francisco. So I really appreciate them. Yeah. And you also now hold the title of chef chair for Foodwise here in the city. Tell us a little bit more about Foodwise. Oh, I love Foodwise. I love being a part of them. So they run all of the Bay Area farmers markets. 
they also do a lot of food education around sustainability and cooking and where our food comes from, which is so important. It makes us realize how interconnected we really all are. And I've built my career around local foodways and sustainability and knowing where your food comes from. So I'm just like so honored to be a part of their committee and yeah, help build awareness around what a beautiful community that we live in where we're surrounded by farmers and they hold us together as a community. So we need to be there for them too and help hold them up. Yeah. And I know you and I have talked before about, I don't know if I'm using the term right, but food inequities Mm -hmm. in the culture, especially in low income communities Yeah, where the access and we've heard this a lot from the students we serve. They grow up in a neighborhood and all there is is a liquor store mm. in their neighborhood. There's no grocery store. There's no access to clean, fresh foods. There's fast food. I mean, there's a lot of awareness for that. Are you seeing a shift towards that improving? This is a great question. And I've heard it explained before, not as a food desert, but as a food apartheid because it seems very planned in a lot of ways. No community should go without fresh food available to them within walking distance. It's just unacceptable. And now a lot of those conversations are happening and people are bringing it into the light. And there's a lot of great organizations around there. There's a few in San Francisco too that are taking corner store bodegas or liquor stores and turning them into these like food markets. And a lot of them are at no cost really. So you can find fresh produce and things which is really great to see happening. Yeah. And I know we're coming out of this two-year pandemic and COVID, I know, was just so hard for your industry. But I know one of the things you've done is, which certainly has become very popular in this country, which is the food truck industry. And you have been a big part in preparing and creating meals for groups like Off the Grid. And how is that experience? Aftergood was uh, such a fun and cool experience. (laughs) (laughs) I got to create like 20 plus concepts for them, all different cuisine types from all over the world and wrote all the menus and recipes for that. And it was something completely different than anything I'd done before because I'd really only done like full service or fast casual restaurants. I was blown away by like all the engineering that goes into a food truck, not just from the menus, but all the operations, how the trucks are set up, (laughs) what makes them fun and not fun to work in, (laughs) and then all the technological advances that are happening in food trucks. At the end of my time with Off The Grid, we we redesigned our fleet to be 100% electric, which has so many benefits. And a lot of them are for the the user on the truck because it gets less hot. You can have higher throughput. Your food can come out faster and and sometimes tastier, but easier. And it's so important to think about the user experience for those on the service side, whether you're designing a truck or a restaurant or I don't know, I guess anything, but I've seen a lot of lack in the the hospitality industry, like not enough hospitality for those of us who have to serve the hospitality. Yeah, right, (laughs) right. And it's interesting you use the word hospitality because I find that people like yourself, there's some correlation with being a chef and being a giver, because even if you're in it for a business, you are giving people something that Mm -hmm. they want, that they like. So there's definitely a correlation. Do you find that in philanthropy and the food industry? Oh, that's a good question. And actually, 
totally reminds me of a song that Sarah Bareilles sang at your fundraiser. I think she has a a Broadway show or something yeah. about a baker. And yeah. like one of the opening lines was, you know, they took more than I offered. And that really resonated with me because in our hospitality industry, you're, you're giving all the time. It takes a lot of energy and you're caring for people. And I think that really fills a lot of our cups, but at the same time you need to be able to fill up your cup and, and it's definitely a little unbalanced. So, you know, really important to, put your own mask on first. And I'm sure it's the same way in nonprofits, right? Like I know my husband works 24 seven yeah, and he's always thinking of everyone else. So we try and balance that out when we can. Yeah. And it's hard because one more hour of doing something could be something you've really done special for someone else. So it's always. Oh yeah. The ripple effects. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what you do for the kids, it might seem small to us, but you know, maybe them being able to like learn a new sport or meet new friends, such a ripple effect of goodness and positivity. You never know what's going to happen with that. Yeah. Kind of off the subject a little bit, but we're, so we're back to the watching these shows on TV with my wife and I, and everybody's saying chef, chef, chef. And it's, no one calls themselves by their names. It's, is that a historically respectful thing people do in that industry? So, I mean, I'm curious about that. Why everybody's chef, chef and saying, hey, Michelle, or hey, this. Yeah, it is. At first, when I first experienced it, I was like, um, are you patronizing me? <laughs> um, but then I realized, yeah, it is. And it's like, we, I see you as a person, but I see you right now, like you're a chef, you're in chef mode. <laughs> you know, these shows are meant to be really competitive, but what it actually feels like when you're in it is very collaborative and I remember on my first episode, you know, Chef Brian next to me was like running back and forth across the kitchen to get me equipment that I needed because I was in the weeds. And he'd come up and be like, Chef, what do you need now? And I was so grateful for that. And that felt like what our industry really is. You know, if your neighbor down the street runs out of towels or flour or something, you're going to give it to them. It's a really collaborative industry. And I'm glad that shows are starting to show a little bit that, of that more to the public and the viewers, because that's really what it's all about. And I think that's what really builds us together as a community. So tell us what you're working on now and what your hope is for the future, any future plans for Michelle Minori. <laughs> right now, I'm kind of doing my own thing. I've been offering some consulting services. I've spent 17 years in this industry opening businesses and restaurants. So I'm happy to share that with other people. Because as an operator, you're in it day to day. And sometimes you don't have time to redo your menu or look at your finances or, you know, even come up with a new dish. So that's been really fun. I've been doing a lot of private events and cooking classes and on the side, writing a business plan for something a little different and fun. I'm kind of just taking this time to figure out what my like dream job would be and put it down on paper and write a business plan around it. So... And hearing that, is there a life expectancy for a chef to actually be <laughs> in the kitchen doing that? And do you have to back away at some time because it's just never ending, right? Yeah. I mean, I've seen both. I've worked for chefs who have had restaurants for 25 plus years and are still going strong and that's their life and their baby. And then there's other people who can step away and, and let like that next generation of cooks come in and find themselves and I think it's just really unique to the person. I'm not sure there's one right answer, 
I mean, I can tell you that it's a very physical job because you're on your feet all day. You're carrying heavy stuff around. It's usually a pretty tight space. So I think it's really unique for everyone. But if I were to have a public facing space again, like a restaurant or a cafe, I would find a way to to lead in a way where it's not about me. I want it to be about everyone else because, you know, no one can lead a ship on their own. It takes, it takes a village. So I want to share that spotlight. And I think we've talked about this before, you know, at Good Tidings, we're always interested in the next best way to help young people. And obviously college historically in our country has been a very strong path, but I think there's a path in your industry and, and maybe there's a way we can, brainstorm someday on how do you get people in the food industry? Because it seems like immediately, let's say you take a kid out right out of high school, he gets into the food industry. He's being taught, but he's also being taught while he's being employed. And there's a positivity to that where versus going to school for four years and you get out and I have all this debt. Mm -hmm. I'm intrigued by that. And have you heard of, of programs like that? Or is that something that is definitely needed? There's a program in San Francisco called Farming Hope, which actually they focus on helping people who, you know, already have the odds set against them. Maybe they were like previously incarcerated. And that's exactly what they do. They have these programs, but they're paid. <laughs> and a lot of times you, you get these programs and you're working for free, which is, you know, not cool. But I will say for myself, too, I think, you know, being 19 and working in a two Michelin restaurant allowed me to focus. You know, I kept my head down. I learned every skill I could. I asked as many questions as I could think of. And I was surrounded by people who are all passionate and had the utmost respect for their craft. And I think in a lot of ways that saved me because my personal life was completely chaotic. I was still dealing with the trauma of my father taking his life when I was just a teenager. And now that I can reflect back on where I came from and all of the focus and determination I was able to put into my day-to-day -day tasks not only taught me so many skills about my craft, but also kind of helped me figure out who I am and and how do I fit into this world and this community and this industry. And I liked where I was going and <laughs> it's taken me this far. So I agree, like college is not for everyone. And at the same time, we need to make it more accessible for people because it's it is valuable but I don't think it's critical for success and there's so many lessons to be learned in this industry. Yeah. Well, Michelle, I just wanted to thank you again for actually looking at someone who sent a note to you through your website. I want to thank you for saying yes. In the show notes we'll put in there your website and all the stuff you're doing and people can follow you on Instagram and see all the great stuff you're doing. So thank you again for supporting the Good Tidings Foundation. Uh, thanks. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it and happy to work together in the future sometime. You have just enjoyed an episode of the Good Tidings podcast, highlighting the goodness in people. To learn more about and to support the Good Tidings Foundation, log on to goodtidings.org. This monthly program is brought to you by the generosity of responseresponsibility.org. Don't miss out on the Good Tidings podcast by reviewing and subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.